0: Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Temple Tonelli, and I'm joined this week by Jason from Frozen and Carbonite, Skate Rat, aka Shane Auckland, and Peter Vinker to talk about filmer rights. Peter is a writer, skater, and most relevant to this conversation, a lawyer. Shane is a filmer based in LA and Seattle and recently asked if filmers should be paid when their clips get reposted by brands. So Shane, can you lay out the scenario for us and tell us how you see it from your perspective yeah for sure i
1: uh, appreciate you guys having me on definitely stoked to be on the podcast i don't know i kind of just felt like maybe stirring up the pot recently on instagram a little bit just because been filming for in the skateboard world for a while now and i don't know it's just kind of interesting how social media has taken over the game in in a way like with marketing and advertisement Like, not saying, like, print is completely dead, you know, but just the way social media has such a power over everything in this world and how we're so addicted to it. And, like, just seeing how companies can kind of, like, screen record and then hard repost on their Instagrams, like, with your footage or just even for skate photographers as well, just that kind of scenario. And it's just the more you see it over and over again and, like, the way you don't get paid for that stuff, it just kind of made me think about, like, posting a little something which I did on my Instagram, kind of describing that and yeah, just kind of seeing how it would take and seeing how people responded to it. Cause so I feel like things are changing and no one's really kind of took in the chance to really caught up on how things are changing in that department. Cause like DVDs are dead and like DVDs were such a big part. I feel like of a company's revenue, you could say, like, I mean, say like 10 years ago and now things are just in a whole different ballpark and it, I guess you can kind of say that is with the technology in general, like it's advancing so quickly and we're not really understanding how to utilize it in the best way. And I feel like that's kind of now taken place within the skateboarding world with photography and videography and how much of like it plays a part in the skate industry. I think that's a good little summary. I don't know if that kind of makes sense to you guys or what you guys think about it. Shane, Jason,
2: um, thanks for yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, just to follow up on that. So w- within this scenario, are you talking about like a brand, hard posting like a rider that rides for them or no longer rides for them or just never rode for them like what um like what's going on in that scenario there
1: definitely yeah someone who's at least pro for them or even am for them like I've, i even just recently have a friend who is a skateboard photographer and he shot a photo of a pro skater he posted to his instagram account the other company literally screenshot his photo and then hard repost that photo to their instagram account didn't ask them didn't hit them up they just did it and it's like right like shouldn't you get paid for that i mean they kind of technically just stole your photo but then it's weird because it's like this whole gray area it's like well it's just social media it's just instagram but at this day and age it's like mm, it's not just instagram like this is such a big marketing tool for any business anyone in the world in this time of like our lives so it's like should you send them an invoice for that like and then but then it's like this weird kind of phrase like you're well am i going to get cooped out are they like am i going to burn bridges by doing that but it's like well and i've had that for me too like they've screen recorded footage and then just harder post and so it's just kind of interesting how things are changing And like should people be talking about this more but then i feel like people are kind of scared of like getting burned from the skate industry or like oh that's a kooky thing it's just instagram It's like
0: in my opinion it's like nah, not anymore like this is definitely a pretty big thing like in the world now totally uh peter let's get the lawyer's perspective so if if shane or let's take this photographer example photographer shoots a photo posts it and then a brand comes comes along and reposts it from legal perspective does the photographer have some legal recourse there
3: yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And and first of all, I mean, we can, we'll can we put it on the bottom of the screen for you all to see. I know it's a podcast, but the big disclaimer about how this is not legal advice and all that sort of fun stuff we'll put out there. So no one do anything that I'm telling you or anything and then come blame me or try and file against my malpractice, and sure. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's a big, big, sheen hit on a lot of things. I think there's a lot to unpack there. I think... The main place to start, I think, is, you know, we're in this industry of, of cool. And I say in, I'm not really in the industry to do some stuff here and there, but nothing serious. But I think it's hard, especially in the skate industry, um, to talk about these things. And a lot, Patrick touches on this a lot, too, with sort of, you know, people trying to get healthcare or unionizing. And it's just things that I think for some reason the skate industry's slow to come up on, which is just hate it's okay for people to assert, you know, their ownership or assert their rights for trying to get paid from some of this stuff because a lot of people, I mean, Shane, hey, big fan here as well, but, Thank you know, you. a lot of people are contributing to quote unquote the culture and really the only people gaining from it are the larger brands and companies. And unfortunately, a lot of those larger brands and companies are also brands and companies that we grew up idolizing as kids so it's really hard for us to say oh hey you know x brand my favorite brand you're doing something sketchy by not paying this filmer or paying this photographer so it's hard in our and we'll talk i think we'll get more into that but it's cool that shane even just sort of breached this this topic in a way too um and i think you know just kind of rambling but getting to the actual question you posed i think the the photographer definitely has at least rights i mean copyright You create that image. It's his own image. Skate photography is almost always going to be a unique and specific image to that photographer. And, you know, as soon as you click that photo and gets either saved on your camera or printed on a piece of cardstock or whatever the heck you want to make that into, it's... It's it's an image and you own it. Um, There's all sorts of legal stuff regarding whether or not you can actually, you know, bring in a cause of action. Have you registered it? We can get into stuff like that. But anyways, long answer is, yeah, that that photographer is most definitely in the right. But the harder part of the question is, you know, like Shane saying, uh, by asserting yourself and standing up for yourself and saying, hey, I should be paid for this. Are you going to all of a sudden get banned from the industry that you love so much?
1: totally yeah and that's the tricky part too especially in this industry like like if you like yeah pay me for that and then they're like uh now nah, we won't and then but it's tricky too because like it's like well there's could be some 22 year old kid who's willing to film this for free or someone who's a bit older who's like trying to get paid and i feel like that might happen in the skate world too where it's like uh we'll just go with the person that's going to do it for free when it's kind of like in the end like it not saying that we're going to start like a skateboard film reunion or something like that. But at the same time, like everyone kind of needs to get on the same ballpark or the same game. Otherwise we're just kind of like shooting ourselves in the foot. If like someone's like, I'll do it for free, but it's like, no, we all should be get paid for this work. And so I think that's kind of a tricky scenario that probably happens in the skate world as well with like skating, photography, kind of anything in general, if that makes sense.
3: Oh, definitely. And I, I think Templeton would be interesting to hear your take on it too, but you know, for both you or Shane, I mean, I'm always sort of aghast at some of the skate practices. Just again, I'm a grown up just skating forever. I would idolize too many grown men um, (laughs) just because they're really good on a skateboard or companies just because they're, you know, grew up with my with their images or more likely the photographer's images on my walls and whatnot. But I mean, you know, in any other industry, you use someone else's work and you call them up and you say, hey, don't do that. And either you assert some legal right or you say, hey, can I get paid for that? And they're not going to say, oh, man, you're not being cool. They're going to say either, well, you don't have a right to that. We have the superior right. Or they're going to say, oh, oops, here you go. So it's really weird in, in industries. I think like the music industry has been a little more monetized or corporatized, which isn't a word, but, you know, for longer. But in the skate industry, I think the, the main issue still is just, you know, it's, it's something that we all love and you don't want to rock the boat. Anyways, long way to get to, you know. Do you find, it, do you, have, you know, in you guys doing any work outside the skate industry? Is it easier to get paid sometimes than in the skate industry?
1: Yeah, I would say if I've done some other video work for like weddings or whatever, you know, any other sort of stuff that I can do, it definitely, yeah, it's been easier to get paid than skate world. In skate world, you're definitely pulling teeth to get paid.
0: Yeah, I think in the in the skate world, there's there's a weird thing where like. You know, if you get hired to film a wedding, it's like, hey, show up to our wedding venue at this time, this date, film the wedding, yeah, give us a uh, you know, edited DVD and we're going to give you this mo- this money. But with yeah. skating, it's like, you know, oh, I heard I heard you got a clip with one of our riders. Can you send it over so we can see it or whatever. You know, it's like it's very loose and there's not there's a lot of times not an agreement ahead of time about exactly yeah where that footage is going to go who owns the footage that kind of thing so i think that's where a lot of this murkiness comes from is there's not totally there's not a strong contract in the beginning you know i feel like if exactly you're, yeah if you work for a brand or something like that like when i was filming i i was on retainer for alien workshop and then i was on retainer for dvs so it was like okay dvs owns all this footage or Alien workshop owns yeah. all this footage so like i personally don't really have that much of a right to it but then I'm filming with Barra and like, yeah, and then like I meet Mike Carroll. So I film some stuff with Mike Carroll, and then that's like, I own that. And then it's up to me to divvy that out and then collect on it.
1: Yeah, totally. And not to mention, even when you're going out to go film, like you spend all the money in the gas, you spend a full day and you don't get a clip. So it like, for me, the filmer, like I'm already out so much money, especially when you get older in life and more adulthood comes in, more responsibility comes in. And then it's like, you kind of sit back and you're like, wait, what am I doing here? Like, I just went out all day, spent all this gas money, and technically you made no money. Especially when you're in the freelance life, you know, you're not any retainer or staff or a company. And then that's like the whole predicament that comes into play as well.
0: Yeah, let, let's get into that. So, like, if everything's going right, how did, how is, how was does a filmer get paid? I mean, I feel get like, paid? yeah, in, in this
1: day and age, mostly all my stuff is freelance unless I'm doing some work, like a, maybe a little more little bit of like retainer work to an extent um but yeah literally just kind of skating with all the guys i know here in la and then kind of just sending that clip over to a company you know and then seeing if you, that they'll buy the clip or if they want the clip or at least talking with the pro skier i'm filming with and like are they working on any projects in general but then even after that it's still kind of just pulling teeth as well i mean not to mention just even with uh uh enjoy you know enjoy is like officially done and like i filmed some clips with one of their pro riders probably a year ago was trying to invoice for that and dwindle would just not pay me and like i'm not the only one i've heard from even photographers and other filmers as well they owed so many people so much money and yeah so that's interesting whatever happened to dwindle but yeah it's just kind of crazy how it's i mean kind of like how ryan Lay said in the podcast he did with you guys it's just like videography you know holds such a big currency within the skateboarding world the culture marketing brands everything but yet in my opinion i feel like a lot of filmers are just getting the short end of the stick and it's just kind of interesting especially in this day and age with youtube uh instagram tiktok everything video video is everything but yet the filmers kind of seem to be making the least amount of money i don't know it's interesting and i don't want to like come up on my complaining or whatever but like it is just kind of I do like to just sit back and think about things, so it's kind of interesting to try to get that topic out there and
2: get people commenting on it or just discussing it in general. So, Shane, from the way you explain how you do business, filmers are independent contractors, is that
0: right? Yeah,
1: yeah, Alta 99 pretty much, seems like, unless unless you're one of the few that are staffed for a company, which doesn't seem like there are many these days. I feel like a lot of companies have let go of all their filmers and everyone's just kind of contracted out, or a few people are a retainer.
2: Gotcha, so... I mean, the way I look at it, like when you get someone to like do some work on your house or whatever, you're renovating yeah. your uh, basement or you know whatever the hell, they have a contract. Whether it might be like a boilerplate contract, it might be just written on like a napkin or something. Yeah, you know, there's some kind of contract. Is like, that so- is that something that like I think we've talked about this. But is that something that you have considered or you think would be a step in the
1: right direction? It, yeah, it definitely would be. I mean, to get this more legitimized and like try to do it properly for sure makes like 100% like sense. It's just interesting that the skateboarding world is just so not like business have ethic or, or like I or just, I feel like not many people are. I feel like a lot of people didn't really go to school for business that do own skateboard companies. So everyone's just kind of like figuring it out as they go. And maybe this is part of the skateboarding culture. It's always been so kind of like, at ease you know like laid back but it seems like things do need to be a bit more legitimate if that makes sense
2: yeah I mean just things crazy yeah. example of that when um when Mike Trasky started plan B based on my understanding like he didn't even get like the B symbol copyrighted uh-huh. or plan B copyright or anything like that didn't do any of that paperwork and like Steve Rocco you know he would get cease and desist letters like twice a week or something he thought he would laugh at it he would like yeah, published it as an ad or whatever. So, yeah, definitely not the the uh, your usual like MBA type of guys. Yeah, totally right. Yeah, you know, running the industry.
1: Yeah, and even like pro skaters, I'm pretty sure like you're still 10.99 for the company. So mm-hmm. skateboard companies don't pay for your health insurance. Like I'm pretty sure all pro skaters have to pay for their own health insurance, which is yeah, kind of a crazy true. thing to think about. Like you're literally hucking your body, breaking bones, tearing ACLs for these sponsors who make tons of money and like but they won't take care of your health insurance that's kind of an interesting thing I feel like in any any other sort of pro athletic sport that it's just such a thing but here in the skateboarding world it's so different but maybe things will change eventually but that's kind of an interesting thing to think about
0: yeah I think in other professional sports I think that there's like a league or uh, some kind of entity that the players are a part of and that's how they get their insurance and yeah yeah skateboarding just doesn't have that so that there's they're just like everybody's just on their own it's a very yeah. individualistic activity and just that just kind of like trickled down through everything in skateboarding
3: it seems like
1: yeah yeah that's definitely an interesting topic <laughs> i wonder if things will ever change in that department
3: yeah a lot of it's hard to even consider i mean i'm just in, I'm, I'm trying to take off the the skate hat and keep my Uh, turning head on during the conversation, which is really hard, but, uh, you know, sort of what Jason was talking about, some of my practice is doing construction law and, and every time any fight on any giant project or tiny project is always going to be based on, on the contract, what it, what the estimate for the amount was, what the agreed amount price is. And then most importantly, you know, things like change orders, being in writing, expanding the scope of the project. And, you know, I, I think it could be done, As far as getting a a filmer, that type of contract, but you'd have to really know skateboarding to be able to get into it as far as all the different scenarios. I mean, you know, like Templeton said, you know, you don't just want to have extra, you know, provisions regarding, hey, if someone else shows up on the session and you want them in the video, that's, you know, that's a change order that changes the scope of my job. That changes, you know, do I have the ability then to. Although I'm using the company camera, can I film this guy and then sell that clip by myself? Can I, you know, we're, we're out here filming for this video, but what if, you know, these clips get used for the shoe company? Can I go do that? It's just like a, a landmine of, <laughs> of contract issues, but it, it, it's, it's always wild to think that none of that is, is in there. And basically you're just going out there ruining your back. And your shoes, and yeah. <laughs> for for you know some of that might not even pay you.
1: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I've yeah, I mean, I've destroyed my body filming over these years. It's but well, which is tricky because I don't want to complain about it. But yet it is. It is what it is. You know, what I mean, I'll still do it because I love it. But yeah, I have like no more cartilage in my left knee anymore from filming. I've broken a collarbone from filming. Last summer, I tore all three of my AC ligaments in my left shoulder from filming. Like just took like the collarbone and the ac ligaments i took a slam filming filming fisheye roll along with the skater you know and just went falling forward but save the camera and sacrifice your body and just like shoulder checks right into the ground but yeah it's just interesting how much you do sacrifice for filming but at the end of the day it's like once again i'm paying for my own health insurance you know which is like it's funny how like in any sort of any any other industry like they probably would look at us skateboard filmers like what are you guys doing like just like playing such like wild wild west, like you're just out there going for it, but
0: not making any sort of money in this day and age. That is, but yeah, it's interesting. So Shane, what kind of value does a clip have? Like, how do you put a price on a clip? And is it like pretty standard, or is it sliding? Is it like doesn't matter the brand, or it? Def- I would say it definitely matters with the brand. Like, I, I, in this day and age, right? I
1: feel like there's so many skateboard companies. Like, the market is flooded and like so there are a lot of kind of like homie skate brands you know that have your friends that all write for it and your friend owns the brand versus like say legacy companies like girl or something like that so like definitely i would invoice or even to just give the clip for free if it's my friend's skateboard company especially if it's like a close friend and then the clip that i filmed or or if it's a bigger company nike adidas converse all right you're definitely going to try to invoice way higher because they'll pay out so it's definitely like a sliding scale kind of based on the brand but I mean at the same time I'll always try to shoot for the stars or right? I try to get paid as much as you can especially for what your ability is worth because I feel like I guess if you think about like maybe Hollywood or something like so many filmers cinematographers whatever but then like you think about skateboarding how many people on this planet can film skateboarding well like it's such a niche like way to document something that takes years of practice to be able to do it good and so you would, you would hope like after all those years of like learning to do something well that you could get paid a decent amount of money for it. But at this day and age, I feel like a lot of companies just want to pay you, like, 2010 pricing. And it's like, nah, it's 2023. Gas is, like, six bucks a gallon in L.A. Like, you got to charge 2023 pricing.
0: Right. So, like, can you you give me, like, a figure? I always want to know, like, dollar amounts, you know? It's so, so vague. I feel like I was charging enjoy maybe like
1: 150 for a clip or was it 200 a clip it was somewhere in that ballpark for sure and that's for a single yeah for like a single clip yeah i would definitely start there like i mean and at at, at the end of the day think about it like you're going out you're working all day spot to spot filming get one clip like at least try to bring in like a 100 bucks home right like if you did get a clip i mean i think minimum wage in california is like thirty two thousand a year So whatever the math is on that, you know what I mean, try to bring in home at least whatever that would be for one day of work throughout like a, you know, five day week period. So like, yeah, I would start around there for sure. But I guess, you know, kind of depends on the company too, what they can afford and which is always interesting, especially when like you think about some of these guys who own these skateboard companies and you know, they live in like million dollar homes. So it's kind of interesting, like how much is your time worth when these guys, you know, are doing all right but like videography work i feel like is such a backbone of a skateboard company
3: like when you're watching a video right you know I'm, I'm trying to think of different videos and i guess it's it's two different questions for you one would be so is just a single trick worth the same as like a city block line of tricks
1: yeah right exactly no i for sure i would charge more for a line and then charge probably less for like a b-roll or a lifestyle shot it definitely yeah you definitely i would i would for sure say charge more, which I do if, you know, that works out. But yeah, I mean, you're putting more work. You're definitely destroying your elbow, especially in this day and age filming with a HPX and extreme fisheye, which weighs like hundred pounds. Right. So like if you're filming a line, like at least a two or a three piece line, that's way more energy, way more work. And like, so definitely charge more for that clip.
3: So what would cost more like a, a zero style edit where there's like 50 single tricks in one part or like a GX video where there's like three lines to a part.
1: Yeah, I, I would charge. I mean, I guess if you're working, if you're if you are just selling individual clips and not doing like a you know like a retainer or like they contract you to have to do a whole project with someone, but yeah, if you're doing just the individual clips, yeah, invoice higher for lines and then a little less for a single trick and then a little less for the little shots or whatever.
0: Oh yeah, that's really interesting. So I'm I'm going to give a little context from from my time as a filmer. This is I got a rate sheet from Soltech for this is skateboarding, which is, is that 2001, 2002. So single trick fifty dollars, line of two tricks or more seventy five dollars. Trick used as slow mo a hundred dollars, and miscellaneous footage up to fifteen seconds fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. So that that's the rates from 2001, and that in my experience seemed about standard across the board. I remember selling yeah. clips to digital and they were like less than that. You know, I think maybe it was like 40 for a single and I, I don't even know, maybe it was 40 for a line. Uh, yeah. But I, I don't even think I got paid for that invoice. Uh, again, hard to, hard to chase those things down. Um, and yeah, then I, right. I, yeah, my retainer for alien was 1200 a month. And then DVS was 1500 a month. Nice.
1: Yeah, and I used to work for the Barracks back in the day, like the original staff in like 2009 to 2011. And I was making two grand a month, but after taxes, like, you know, 1600 working five to seven days a week. But that's like the last... Actually, no, I've done some other work too, but... Yeah, I'm just... But it's just interesting too how inflation works too, like... Or even just even about like your pricing for Soltech in the early 2000s, right? I wonder what like Soltech now would be like paying as well because i feel like maybe i I don't know what you you, do you guys think soltech was doing way better back then versus now like money
0: wise before Nike and adidas and converse came into the market i think they probably were doing better i I remember i I posted that sheet and i think i tagged mike manzori because he was yeah his name was on the sheet and uh he he said that prices haven't gone up that much since and (laughs) this was maybe like a couple years ago that i posted it so yeah Which is crazy to think,
1: right? With inflation and just everything in this economy, like how could pricing not go up? Like it just, yeah, it's a bummer for the skate filmers and the photographers.
0: Oh, I was just going to say the value of a clip or like a clip gets used and seen by so many more people. So I think that it, it deserves to, you know, to be compensated for how far reaching it is. You know, like how many people have seen, you know, in 2002 or 2001, how many people saw this skateboarding? Like, yeah. Nowhere near as many people who see an Instagram post from Thrasher today. Exactly. Yeah. So, and that brings me back to the point
1: of like, how much worth is Instagram clips now or a photo on Instagram for like a skateboarding company as Thrasher or another big skateboarding brand to post? Like, what value does that hold now? Is that something that we should all be fighting for to get paid for that? Or or are you kook asking to get paid for Instagram clips? Like, it's such a weird thing because, yes, so many eyeballs are going to be seen. That post of that pro skater representing your board company, which drives your board sales or whatever product you're selling, like that's an interesting thing. I feel like that definitely should be discussed more, like more skate filmers out there.
3: Yeah, it kind of goes back to too, just sort of the general overarching thing that we were talking about too, which is you know you you think of Soultech now versus then, and of course we all think of you know Menikmadi or any any you know, old soul Tech thing where it seems like that footage should even be more valuable because it was so much longer a period of time before you saw any of it. Yeah. So, you, so in our heads, you think that that should be worth more, but I think it's definitely more what Templeton is alluding to, which is, yeah, we all, you know, the world stopped while Ardo's doing, uh, you know, a line regular and then a line switch the same line, but, Today, you know, some post on Instagram by Kelly Hart probably gets that many viewers in a day. Yeah. Which is crazy. But thats I I think you're right that there needs to be a shift in in how the filmers and, you know, videographers and photographers see value in their work now, too. Because before it'd be, oh, it's one clip. And that's not going to see the light of day for five years. And then at that time, it's going to be the five people that buy the VHS tape or something. Yeah. Where now your one photo is going to get thousands, if not millions of views for that company. It's just, I I, I just think we're all behind.
2: Yeah. Oh, especially when you consider like if a clip goes, you know, quote unquote viral, like that clip of, uh, I don't know, like Tiago doing like a switchback tail on like a, neck high ledge or whatever like the amount of times it gets reposted and yeah you know share all that stuff it's like uh exponential totally number of the number of eyes that
1: yeah it's just insane how many people yeah will be seeing that footage like versus back like even eight to ten years ago i mean i feel like what pretty sweet might have been like the last like big dvd sales right like just thinking of like how time has changed so quickly and also like another point i want to bring up too is like like you're talking about like say that tiago or something And it gets reposted, which is another interesting kind of like, I guess, nuanced discussion about like if um, they post that clip and say how many sponsors is say Tiago has, right? And then all these other sponsors repost that clip to their story on Instagram or social media, right? So now they're all, all these companies are sharing that clip that a film or films, but it's getting used by multiple different sponsors. So everyone's kind of like in a way mooching off that filmer's clip and to an extent because you can just share things on instagram which is kind of like another weird thing to go down the rabbit hole on like is that fair like i don't know it's it's, in social media in general such an interesting world now that we probably really don't understand how it works correctly we're just like inventing all these things and we're just like diving into them but I, i did i explain that does that make sense to you guys oh yeah totally yeah that's like an interesting thing about at least i ponder it
0: yeah, I think with with this like viral Tiago moment thing, I think to me it kind of matters who who owns the original clip because I think yeah. that you know if let's say New Balance owns the clip, yep. they're probably happy to have it shared across as many brands or whatever as as it can be, you know, because the more eyeballs on Tiago, the more you know, yep. ten NB shoes or whatever, I don't know the fucking number, but yeah. the more shoes they're gonna sell. But I think, you know, if, if it's just like, you know, you filmed, if you filmed that clip and just posted it, like, damn, I saw that Tiago do this crazy trick and then it goes viral. I feel like then you should be compensated for that yeah in some way. Yeah. In some sort of way. And like, also I feel like the older you get, it's like, yeah, i
1: not, you don't need, I'm not looking for you to tag me or give me or Instagram followers. Like I got bills to pay. Which is interesting versus a 20-year-old filmer who might be like just chasing that Instagram clout like, oh, they tagged me in this post. I'm going to get more followers or whatever versus someone in their later 20s or into their 30s who are like, nah, I need to pay bills. I don't care about Instagram followers. Like, pay me. So it's right. definitely an interesting world where that kind of comes into play as well. But, yeah, in social media, everyone wants that clout.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, and it goes to, you know, it, it's essentially the same we're, we keep talking about the same thing sort of around and around here which is yeah. you know a lot of these larger companies are the ones that are really benefiting from it with the least amount of you know I guess capital output is the you know I guess uh-huh. grown-up way to talk about it like you're saying I mean they pay you 50 bucks for some b-roll they use that b-roll to help them sell their shoe that b-roll in that commercial then goes viral and all of a sudden they've spend 50 bucks and get a million views and sell hundreds of pairs of shoes. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's it's all about and, you know, I've in doing some research on this too just trying to sort of see what people are talking about. I don't really typically read about, you know, people talking about the internet, but there's a guy out there, and I'm just going to cite him cuz as an attorney, you're always, you know, making sure you, you hit your marks. But there's a guy out there called Douglas Rushkoff. He wrote a book called Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus. Some, you know, I I don't know. I think he's an SF. Maybe Connor Doherty on Skate Twitter might know this guy or something. But anyways, he talks a lot about how a lot of the people that kind of build up this this meta or this database of of content that then are used by larger companies. That normally it's those creators that are ones sort of with the most to lose when you stop giving credit. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and there's a lot of talk about how authorship and, you know, individuals, you know, if if you're trying to claim credit now, oh, you're just whining about it. You just have an ego or, hey, you're just looking for royalties. But then the flip side of it is, well, yeah, of course I'm looking for royalties on it. Because like you said, yeah, you know, when you're younger, hey, I don't care. If, if a skate company uses my clip, I'm probably a big fan of them. And oh, my God you know uh you know and not to pick on them but hey girl use my clip that's amazing oh my god you know thank you thank you they didn't at me or didn't you know put me in the credits they didn't pay me but i don't care it's my all time favorite company they're now using my stuff yeah yeah totally. now, cut to 35 and you're you, you know you have kids family or even just your own place that you're trying to pay the rent for and all of a sudden that credit doesn't really it goes a lot longer now And so again it's 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 a lot of these skate companies have built their empires, um, you know, sort of taking advantage of people just thinking they're cool and being like, oh, it's okay. You know, you'll get me back later, but that only goes so far. And again, I'm not, you know, we're not trying to paint this terrible picture of everyone, but it's something that I'm really excited that people are talking about because it's just fun to talk about as far as, you know, what have we been taking for granted all these years? Now I'm going to watch a video part and I'll have those little, like, uh, you know, if you remember the VH1 little bubbles that pop up in videos, it'll be like 50 bucks, 150 bucks, 20 bucks, 30 yeah. bucks for that clip. Gl- oh, sweet. You know, it's 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 just wild. It's cool. No, totally.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I'm even nervous, like, when I did that Instagram post and, I'm like, I'm even, like, nervous tonight coming on the podcast just to talk about it because it's, like, a little nerve-wracking not to want to get blacklisted in the skate industry just, like, talking about this. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying, like, I'm some big-time filmer or anything. I'm not. Ty Evans or Jace Hernandez or some, you know, legendary filmer. And if anything, but it's just, I don't know, I just felt like I should say something just because, I mean, I have been burned in the past a little bit, but, but at the same time, yeah, it's, it's kind of scary. Like you don't want to get blacklisted, especially when they can just go and find a younger filmer who's just like down to do it for free because yeah, the footage gets used. And now they're like, Oh, I, this is my dream. I, I use my footage. But then, yeah, it's kind of like screwing other people over in the end. Cause it's like, now we all kind of kind of get on the same page for this.
3: Well, there's a big thing to be said too about just um, how many of those big names that you just mentioned are still 100% and only skate filmers now.
1: Uh yeah, and
3: almost none of them.
1: No, exactly. I mean, yeah, none of them. Yeah,
3: some of them come back and come out of retirement. You know, like Greg Hunt doing a another Vans video and stuff. But he yeah. he's been off doing you know commercial work or I don't really know. But that's just sort of the narrative. Yeah, totally or, like, you gotta find
1: other projects exactly. And I know yeah. like, Ty's working on like that Aisha documentary or something, but I'm pretty sure Ty's just fully producing that out of his own pocket and stuff like that. And like Yeah, just, and
0: Ty Evans it, is yeah. doing like plenty of stuff outside of skateboarding. Totally. I think yeah. I think Greg listened to the show. Hi Greg. I, I think he uh like works for bands, so he's he's getting, you know, a salary or whatever. Uh, yeah, and totally. also yeah, he's doing stuff outside of skateboarding, like his Yeah, he has totally. everything. Yeah,
1: which I mean, it makes complete sense. You got to go find other other work. I mean, of course, it's a dream to just make your full salary off filming skateboarding. I mean, that's every skate filmer's dream. But it's interesting how that's not possible realistically. I mean, I know Chris Wright, he kills it. He's always doing so much different, like commercial work and stuff. You know, he's always hustling it up. But yeah, it's just interesting, like how I feel like maybe it used to be like that. If you think back to like more in the DVD eras, because I know DVD sales were such a big part of the profit margin for a company so i wonder if like interesting thing about like i know like skate filmers and photographers had like offices at these skateboarding companies warehouses you know and, like really realistically, that's not a thing anymore everyone's just kind of freelance work or people work from home but it's crazy to just think how things have changed so drastically to an extent with that that category i guess within the past years
3: well it's cool too i i think that instagram post you know for how much you can put Stock in Instagram, which is apparently way more than I think any of us give it credit for, actually. Mm -hmm. But I mean, even since then, I mean, I just recently rejoined the the skate Twitter just because you know I was trying to talk to Templeton for (laughs) the show and stuff and find a way to communicate. But you know, being back on that, I've seen a couple people talking now. There was a funny one, I forget who. I'll try and give credit, you know, maybe in the show notes or something. But someone did something to the effect of asking. Oh, hey! What if skateboarders had caddies? You know, someone to walk around with you, tell you what club to use and stuff. And someone responded, "Yeah, that's a filmer." Yeah, literally. You know, you're you're <laughs> yeah. taking the guys to spots. Um, you know, the, I was there was a Vent City episode where Kristen Eblin was talking about the stuff in her car, and she was—I think she even referenced you. Now that I think about it, yeah, and Kristen's my good friend. Yeah, yeah that's, that's you inspired her to like keep all the stuff in her car: rub bricks, wax, you know, generator, all this kind of stuff. And yeah. It's like, you know, basically the filmer, it makes you think of, you know, what's the skater even doing anymore? It's everyone can skateboard and do sweet tricks, but, you know, it's the filmer bringing you to the spot, helping you dust it off, you know, sort of getting the the white gloves out, making sure you're not going to get dirty on your sweet outfit. And (laughs) it's it's crazy, but people are talking about it now. So it's cool. It's
1: good. Yeah. No, yeah, it's insane. I mean, I swear skateboard filmers were all like low-key therapists. Like (laughs) you're literally in the trenches with this pro skater or your friend battling a trick, losing their mind, freaking out, throwing their board. And the filmers in the trenches with that dude, like literally trying to tell them, like, you got this next try, like you're going to land it. Like, you're kind of just low-key at therapy, like getting this person, this grown man, working himself through like this trauma, right? To like land this super gnarly trick or something. Like, it's funny how many different hats a filmer wears because literally all filmers are team managers. Like, it's kind of, it's funny how it's an unwritten rule. If you like, you really want to be a filmer, like in the industry, for one you're probably going to buy a van or an suv you're going to buy bolt cutters rub bricks lacquer bondo generator lights like you're going to buy all this stuff out of your own pocket and then you're going to drive all these pro skaters around burning your own gas money your own mileage on your vehicle like take them to spots if you're finding spots and you're fixing the spots up like the filmer in a way is doing everything to prepare for this pro skater to do the trick i'm always i'm always stoked when i meet a pro skater who has all that stuff in their car who like who takes their own time goes out finds a spot fix a spot like it's ready and be like hey can you come film me like i'm ready like i just think that's the dopest thing when i come across pro skaters that actually take that initiative to do that because most of the time it's all filmers doing that work which is kind of unfair but it's like a weird unwritten rule that you have to do that which probably should change but yeah
0: yeah the filmer is almost always the most motivated person in the crew yeah because they're, they're the ones who who were motivated enough to save up money to buy a really expensive camera. <laughs> yeah, camera, laptop, hard drives, just memory cards, everything. It's, yeah.
1: Not, kind of insane how much money I've blown over my life for skate filming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little Yeah.
3: So for that, I mean, how much of that is actual stuff that you can expense to a company? I mean, do you ever get that as part of your work for a company? Is that stuff that you'd only get on a
1: retainer? or I mean, how are you billing off? Yeah, that? right that's an interesting thing too to think about like yeah especially when you invoice a clip like how much bondo did i use to fix that spot for that pro skater to get that clip and then i'm invoicing that clip to the company like should i tack on another 25 bucks for that that tub of bondo like that's something Ooh, yeah like, an
0: itemized correct. invoice would yeah. be great like exactly oh yeah we, we went back to this spot yeah. three times so like there's you know gas and mileage for the, those other two attempts
1: yeah yeah exactly and even then, I'm, like, nervous to do that. Like, I'm going to be cooped out of the industry for, like, tacking on Bondo. Like, But, like, it's just, like, does anyone even do that? But, like, I, if you were in Hollywood filming for a movie or a commercial, like, you're going to, yeah, do all the expenses for everything that went into that. But, like, the skate world is so, I guess, like, unprofessional in that way.
2: Along those lines, skating is way more, you know, smaller and a lot more yeah. close than, say, like... Big uh, time. movie biz. Yeah, yeah. Really get the but, like, I almost feel like... We're like thirty years behind, you know, the music industry. Because, like, yeah, you think about when like Napster came out, it was like the Wild Wild West. You could like, yeah, you, I mean, you could download anything from like anywhere. And then, you know, eventually they figured out, you know, streaming and how to monetize streaming. You know, even if it's like whatever, you get like one tenth of a penny for every time you know somebody plays your song. You're still like monetizing, yeah, the platform and getting money to the artist now it would it be insane to think of you know or conceptualize a system like that for skating on i guess instagram since that's like the largest
0: platform yeah right yeah that's a good question like how would you yeah make it all happen yeah that seems like a a big beast to try to tame I, i feel like the current system of like buying clips outright seems like the easiest way to go about things and we're still not very good about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I swear, like, the whole skateboard industry is, uh, like, in a way, like, we all want to stay within skateboarding. So we all start these skateboard companies, but no one went to school for business. So it's all these, like, people just trying to hold on to skateboarding, but never really figured out, like, I guess, business knowledge from, like, say if you were studying business or stuff like that. It's kind of funny what the skating industry is overall. Not to hate on it, but it's just kind of funny to think about.
3: No, it's hard, too. Like, Jason, that was great, you know, sort of analogy to the music industry, too, where, you know, one of the big things for them is they have this infrastructure that they've created regarding, you know, trying to enforce these types of things. So, you know, on, on YouTube, you know, what are the banes of any, I, I would think, you know, Shane or Templeton, you can jump in on this, but, uh, you know, one of the big banes of any skate video is trying to get the music rights or yeah. if you don't get the rights trying to upload it somewhere that you won't get pinged. Yep. And just that getting pinged, that's one of the big weapons for the music industry is they've got these the software that can go out and just find the ones and zeros and, oh, my God, you used, you know, freaking Sinead O'Connor for the fifth time and so you're getting your video dropped down, where in skateboarding, you know, no one has, you know, especially, you know, and this isn't to, to, you know, knock you guys down or anything, but, you know, as an independent filmer, you can't spend your week, or a month or a whole year of your life chasing after people who are uploading your clips or throwing one of your videos on YouTube because, you know, one, you got to be out doing stuff to make money. You don't have the time to just go and force it. Yeah. I mean, I remember a time when everyone was reposting Supreme stuff and, you know, you got Strobeck himself going around asking people to take it down. I mean, how much of his, you know, first two weeks after a video comes out, does he spend just trying to chase after people? and?
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, seriously. It,
3: You know, and people, you know, talk shit about them and doing that. But at the same time, it's, hey, I just spent two years of my life doing this. Quit sharing it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally. It's like, how do we find some, like, technical, like, software engineer who can build that algorithm that can flag video clips just how they have that flags audio clips or music clips? I guess I wonder, yeah, I wonder if that will ever be invented one day or when it does come to, like, light. That'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Especially for, yeah, videographers and photographers.
0: Yeah, I I think with that music analogy, it's still, you know, you could say that the skater and the filmer are kind of like the artists and the brands are like the record labels and the the record labels are out there pursuing their, um, you know, their ownership of these copyrighted materials. But the bands and, you know, the musicians are still like the last in line to get paid just like the skaters and filmers. So I, I think that... It's tough without a giant industry, you know, behind you doing the work. Yeah, that can actually make it happen. Yeah,
3: I think that a part of it too is you know that that same art, art uh, that same author, losing my my ability to speak here. Um, that same author that I talked about before, that Rushkoff guy, was talking about how you know if you're trying to figure out how people use a certain medium, you kind of got to go to the biases within that culture. And again, it just goes to the overall, I think, you know, one of the topics of this conversation, which is, you know, it's just in in skateboarding, we love to share things. You know, there's the you know, Patrick might like that I'm mentioning, you know, in, in High Fidelity, one of the big things that they talk about in that both movie and book is, you know, it's not what you are like, it's what you like. And I think a lot of us, you know, for any of us, you know, if any of us are into a certain video or one way that you gauge, you know, whether we're going to be best skate buddies is you know who your favorite skater are is who's your you know what your favorite video is and so part of our own makeup is sharing videos and the easiest way to do that is just link a bunch of videos or you know for some people it's to create you know uh, their own skate YouTube where all they do is throw up you know compilations of all their favorite clips or videos and again it's we, we're in this culture of just sort of where it's it's sort of expected that we share stuff Without any consideration of you know what it is we're sharing and what we're sort of taking away from filmers, so it's it's kind of hard. Again, you're not, you're, you didn't pick the best industry to you know be a filmer in. Yeah, exactly, one hundred percent.
1: But no, yeah, it is. Yeah, that's tricky. We're kind of just like everybody wants it for free. But yeah, it's an interesting industry, that's for sure. Definitely.
3: And we're all we're all guilty of it too, of you know hitting each other up for oh who's got the link to that new video. Yeah. You know, and, and sometimes you'll, you'll be a lucky enough filmer that you've got enough friends somewhere that you'll say, Oh, well, we can't share that one. Everyone go buy that one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And
3: if you're not one of those guys, people just throw your link up and you know, there goes your premiere.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. My, my feeling on that is like, I don't know, people might not like this take, but I feel like for brand stuff, it's kind of a free for all in my opinion. like, you know, like Baker had that video uh, to kind of get out of their hands and I, I I don't have a problem with sharing that link to my friends, you know, like, Mm -hmm. because it's a piece of promotional material. It's not like, you know, but if like, I would never share like a mandible claw video or something like that's, that's like a a piece of art that that guy like slaved over. And it's like a a beautiful artistic vision and I'm not going to like rob him of his opportunity to make money off that. But I, I like Baker they're just using this video to sell more boards or more t-shirts really. So fucking share all you want, it's, it's how I see it. And you know, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's 40 I it kind of like it. that.
2: Yeah. I mean like along those lines, something like there's this whole uh, I don't know, point of view mindset in the current like internet world where like everyone's like, fuck it. Information is free. Uh, you know, data should be free. Share everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you have that to contend with as well yeah how it plays into it yeah well
3: it's crazy too and and templeton you posed I think in the you know in the show notes the question just about how you know what about different platforms what about you know is just should ever are all bets off is everything free and you know part of that goes to you know all the legacy nostalgia accounts out there and you know so I guess I'll jump ahead if you don't mind just kind of pose the question to all you guys that you know what about these accounts that have tons of followers? I don't know that any of them are monetizing off of it, but maybe some of the YouTube channels are. But, you know, like guys who are doing remixes of all the Carol parts into one or, you know, anything like that. I mean, what are you guys thinking, uh, you know, particularly you, Shane? You know, what if a bunch of your clips of, you know, say Corey Kennedy or something are used in someone's remix of, you know, the past five years of Corey footage or something? I mean, what are your takes on that? no totally yeah i guess that isn't
1: yeah i've thought about that one too but i guess it's interesting if they are capable of monetizing and if they are monetizing then yeah that's like just not cool at all because now you're just making money off another company's product another filmers product i haven't i mean i had some companies uh, rip footage of Corey off my youtube and they've hard posted on their social media accounts without asking and that's that's kind of you know another thing that kind of triggered me i'm like well yeah, I mean, I got Corey's back no one or what, i love for him to have his footage advertised and everything. But it's like, can you at least hit me up? Can you send me a box of gear? Can you like in any sort of like just like pay me? Like, but yeah, that's happened in the past. And it's just like, that's not cool. Like, you just kind of stole my footage and like but it's weird because it's like, yeah, I want Corey to be advertised no matter what, you know, but yeah, at the same at the same time it's like they're just straight up making money off my footage. And like, yeah, it's interesting about those Other YouTube accounts who upload like yeah right, or they upload like all these full-length you know skate videos from back in the day, but I, I, yeah, it is interesting if there's some way we can figure out if they're monetizing those or if they're not. But if they are, the yeah, that's kind of pretty suspect for sure.
3: Yeah, it's wild too. I mean, uh, Jason, if you could give a sound clip of of rudimentary internet research.
2: (laughs) internet yeah. There
3: you go. Yeah. I mean, doing a little of that uh, research online and seeing how people monetize, I mean, it, it's crazy. I mean, there's full on, you know, worksheets from Instagram or pick any of your social media things and they lay out how exactly to use other people's content, but not to get pinged or not to get your monetization badge, you know, taken away. Yeah. And, and most of it is really crazy, which then coincides with a lot of copyright law, too, which, you know, which is basically if you do any sort of commentary or you put a, at least enough of a original spin on something. But that's why you see all these YouTube guys out there just commenting on another person's video. And you're like, all you're doing is sitting there talking about this video. The main reason people are watching it because they love that video but yet, you know, the commentator is the one monetizing it just by giving sort of your run-of-the-mill, you know, slap message board, the, you know, commentary on it, which is also kind of crazy that, you know, and, and that goes to just any of these platforms. It's it's hard to make the original content. And so as the skate filmer, you're the one who's making the most original content, but yet everyone else is finding ways to sort of monetize or make money off your work.
1: Yeah, just piggybacking off your back. Yeah, literally.
0: Yeah, once once the footage is there, it's pretty easy to make make new things out of, you know, existing footage, but going out there and driving and bondoing and, you know, doing all the work to get a clip is a lot of fucking work for that single clip. Yeah. Talking about
2: um real quick, talking about YouTube or whatever, can filmers like get paid from YouTube? Like so let's say you come up with like a homey video or an independent video and you post it on YouTube, like can you monetize it and get paid?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, on my YouTube channel, I monetize videos, but the only videos I can really monetize, you know, the videos I have the song rights to, or if I'm not using a song, you know, there's all those YouTube skaters out there that are definitely making some money doing all like the vlogging stuff, you know, uh, all that, but yeah, it just depends. Yeah. If you got the rights to the content, but I've been really dove in, I feel like I definitely should try to utilize my YouTube channel more. Like I have a decent amount of subscribers, but I just kind of, I don't know. I just I'm just trying to figure out how to, like, you utilize it in a way where I'm not, like, doing skate vlogs and just kind of, I don't know, because I, I, at the end of the day, I don't really care about making the money. I just make an edit the way I want to make a skate edit on YouTube or something and just post it. But, yeah, that's it. Yeah, the whole YouTube world is an interesting world. Like, definitely something I haven't dove into, but I probably
0: should just to try to make another source of income because, yeah, being a skate filmer, not much money in there. Yeah. Seems like a crazy amount of work. Like, those dudes have to post every day. It's like, and then. Yeah. You know, it's got to be a certain length to, for the algorithm to like in all this. Yeah, chance. it seems exactly. like a, a complete grind. And, and you know, if you're going to put know, your energy you. into something, it's you'd probably be better served putting your energy into like getting paid gigs in a different industry or something like filming. Oh, it's shows. Or The algorithm is wild. It's I know you have to have like it's either eight to 10 minutes long
1: of an edit and then you get two commercials. If not, you only get one commercial and if you get more commercials then you get more money off the monetization. So there's like a whole, that's why most of the videos you'll see are like around that 10 minute marker. And then like, even, even the thumbnail you pick for your video comes into play. Like there's like videos describing what are the best thumbnails, like to trigger that algorithm to get more clicks for people to click on it. It's just, it's insane how people can break it down to a science. I'm like, yeah, it's definitely a lot to take on for sure.
2: Oh yeah. That, that that reminds me of like with, um, Like video game, like content creators or whatever, like on YouTube, like their thumbnails are like all the same. That like they're making some stupid face. The lettering is real big. Like yeah, yeah. But so far, that's probably what you're talking
1: about. Yeah, exactly. Part of that strategy or whatever they figured out that works best on YouTube.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think a lot of that goes to also. It's just it's wild that you know for a lot of this again, and this is sort of big picture again. But you know, you know, we've got slow impact going on this year and you know maybe next year Shane you should lead a you know basically a panel on on filming and and raising some of these things because I think a lot of it just goes to skateboarders being a little more literate about the media that we love so much I mean it's, it's, it's it's a bummer that so many independent filmers basically destroy their bodies or otherwise get jaded on the skate industry and then walk away when you know guys like you or colin reed or you know any of the filmers that we love are out there and they're building what will watch hours of your day or you know i get home from work and the one of my favorite ways to unwind probably like anyone who's listening to this pod is throw on a skate video and yeah. try of there's real benefit to just having people make these things that know what they're doing and making something so good that we're not sitting around being like, uh, you know, another no name thrasher clip of Joey schmo and all that. So, I mean, that's been covered a hundred times, but I don't know. I would just say, you know, I wouldn't worry so much about sounding like a kook or getting black labeled and things. It's more just sort of raising, raising the issue of, to take this a little more seriously on what we love to consume so much and thinking about it for a minute. I mean, everyone talks about, Oh, it's, you know, think about where your food comes from. Well, let's think about where our skate clips come from. Yeah. Right. totally. That sounds kind of stupid.
0: Oh, it makes sense. Yeah. 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 I I like that. I feel like, um, that's probably a good place to bring this one in for a landing. It's yeah. Think about where your skate clips come from. Yeah. About the filmers. Yeah. Filmers have rights too. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, which brings us to the end of our show where we talk about what we're stoked on. Uh, Peter, I'm going to start with you. What are you stoked on this week?
3: Um, let's see. Too much. And I, I, I see that this is actually pretty hard trying to come up with the stoked on. And it's lucky you guys get so many weeks to just sort of hone it in on a couple things. So I'll try to be brief. But most of all, you know, as an attorney, I'm, I'm stoked on my jury trial getting continued so I could do research and get on the show tonight, which is good. You know, talking about nostalgia, I'm stoked on, on the slab board. Someone uh, re-upped the thread on Ben Chardone's Looks Okay to Me, which is one of my all-time favorites. You got Yelte, you got... Oh, yeah. You got uh, Warists, and, you know, if you could just throw Boozenitz in there, that'd be just hands down. But, hey, you got Reese, so that's good. Um, I'm extremely stoked on the upcoming release of Lens 3. It's one of my all-time favorite videos. I know most people do not enjoy a skate video more than 10 minutes, but now we can know that that's because YouTube is trying to monetize us all. But you know, the two uh, typically an hour, hour and a half of amazing skateboarding, so I'm excited for that. I'm stoked on upcoming Skate uh, Shop day. You know, Shout out to alumni in Madison, Uprise Chicago, Dave at 35th Avenue, James the Labor. you know, and everyone should check out Patrick's Blacklist. And then finally, I'm stoked on and finally get to talk about uh, the mostly skateboarding uh, theme song by Black Marble. It's one of my all-time favorite songs. And every time I hear it, I think of the it's, uh Adidas ADV commercial and some of the best slow-mo kickflips. Shane, what are you stoked on?
1: Well, you just killed it. That's a lot of good stuff to be stoked <laughs> on. <laughs> Love it. Thanks, Stoked On. Um, my good friends, uh, they own a small skate brand called Lesson Local. They just put out a video, and I think you can head over to Thrasher on the junk drawer and check it out, called That's an Idea. They killed it. I was really stoked on that. And just like last week, I got to go to uh, Matt Bublitz' new premiere uh, called Backwash, his video that he put out. That was super good. Really enjoyed that. Um, those are probably like two things that I'm currently stoked on that just kind of came out, you know, as, as of recent. Jason, what are you stoked on?
2: All right, stoked on Venture Trucks out of San Francisco, California. Uh, Stop faking. Crew videographers out of D.C. dropped another one called marble mile usual usual dc suspects and spots uh, kevin augustine has last part completely uh, murders it as a video game liaison for this podcast i'm also stoked on call of duty modern warfare 2 season 2 also Warzone season 2 uh you know usual new maps new guns shit like that also stoked on a video out of connecticut don't see a lot of connecticut spots so there's some good spot porn in there the video called be easy out uh, of Connecticut. I think there's this plaza at Yale that looks really cool that they scale out in there. Uh, Templeton, what are you stoked on this week?
0: I am stoked on a little Instagram nostalgia account. Kind of funny. All the stuff we've been talking about tonight. Um, It's called 411VM Commercial Break. There's like underscores under the different words. And basically it's just all the commercials from 411 uh, and they're just posting them in order. They're posting them kind of like in batches I guess probably in batches of like the commercial breaks that were in the videos and watching them kind of made me realize that like like you know I follow Chromeball and like all the other nostalgia accounts and like the 411 commercials give me the like most potent hit of nostalgia out of like all that stuff so super stoked on that whoever made this thing a reality thank you super stoked on it so everybody go check that out it's Four in one VM underscore commercial underscore break on Instagram. And that's it for our show this week. Be sure to check out mostly skateboarding.net for the links to the things that we talked about and other shutouts. Until next time, you can keep up with us all week online. Uh, Shane, where can the people find you? Um, yeah, they can find me on Instagram at skaterat s k
1: eight r a t and our website is skaterats.com. Yeah, and just we got some new videos coming out. Um Corey and I filmed a video last summer. I was in Washington. And Girl Skateboards should be posting that video soon. It's like an eight-minute long kind of summer trip at it, skating and camping with friends. Some new Corey footage, so keep an eye out for that. I think people are creepy, hyped on it, getting Corey back in the groove of things. Been pretty stoked. Fuck yeah.
0: Peter, where can the people
1: find
3: you? Um, People can find me on Instagram and Twitter, once again. Um, There's not enough pants and uh, other talk on there like I was promised by the show as a listener. (laughs) But anyways, at at either you can find me at at the underscore ex-presidents underscore r underscore surfers. You can also find me on The Village Psychic trying to do a series of interviews with shoe designers. Started it off with Neil Shoemaker and then Jeff Mikut. And then recently did uh, Scott Johnston, so excited about that. And quickly, Shane, um, your Bellingham edit of Corey is one of my all-time favorite edits, so thank you for that. It's
1: sick. Appreciate that. Thanks, man. Yeah, you'll be be hyped on this new Corey that's coming out. It's going to be sick.
3: Yeah, and also just a shout-out to everyone driving back from uh, the Slow Impact. Hopefully you're driving through the desert and listening to us all talk about this fun stuff. And call us all back for the uh, panel next year and fly us out there. Jason, where can the people find you?
2: On the Twitter, at carbonite 1994 On the Instagram, at Frozen and Carbondite. And writing stuff for quarterstacks.com. Working on it. Working on some new stuff for probably, like, uh, second quarter and flipping it. And Templeton,
0: where can the people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Mostly Skateboarding and on Twitter at Mostly Skate. We will see you guys next week. Bye.